Well, you got you to gotta make me feel at home. Aloha. Aloha. Now, how many of you have been to Hawaii? And what's wrong with the rest of you? Come on now. Hello. I'll tell you why. Hey, remain standing. Are you ready for the word? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Oh, I tell you what, I got a good word for you tonight. I'm excited about it. This has uh, been a marvelous time. There's only one problem in Washington, D.C., your traffic. Hallelujah. <laughs> By the time I arrived here, I had to pray through just to be able to stand back, stand up here. Hallelujah. And my wife is back to her sanity. Praise God. We're in good shape. And I'm thankful for the word of the Lord tonight. I want you to take your Bibles Turn with me to the book of Job. Oh, who's ever preached a message from the book of Job? I'll tell you what. Some people call it Job, but it's Job. Amen. I want us to read chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. Let's read the word of the Lord. People open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to the ungodly and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He made me his target. His archers surrounded me without pity. He pierces my kidney and spills my galls on the ground. Isn't that an encouraging word? If you give me a little bit more microphone, I'd appreciate it. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp, it is a light to our life. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for the tremendous things you're doing here. I thank you for the pastors and leadership of this house. I pray specifically for Pastor Brett today as he's ministering in another city. Lord, use him mightily, I pray. And Lord, I just ask that you would intervene tonight. Come on, people, pray in the Holy Ghost. Let's just begin to believe. For God to move in power tonight. You came to receive something from God. Let's believe you'll receive it. Father, I pray for an anointing to come on me and an anointing to come on this congregation. Give us ears to hear, a heart to respond, and eyes to see. When we leave tonight, may we leave encouraged, full of faith, transformed by your power. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fifty years ago, I began in the ministry on a college campus. And although I've read the Bible through many, many times, when I'd get to the book of Job, it wasn't my favorite book. In fact, the book of Job was my least favorite book in the Bible. It uh, was next to Ecclesiastes and Leviticus and Lamentations. Anybody with me here tonight? And oftentimes when I'd read the book of Job, I'd read the first chapter and then I'd jump all the way to the end, chapter 42, and read the end. Because the book of Job, the message it seemed of the book of Job just never attracted me. It's the message of a righteous man suffering under the attack of the devil. That just didn't appeal to me. In fact, it was kind of interesting. My mom, when she retired from being a missionary, was a, she was a tremendous teacher. She taught the book of Job at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas. And I thought, who in their right mind would teach the book of Job? 
And who in their right mind would take a class on the book of Job? How many of you have read the book of Job? Well, you're brave. The rest of you try by God's grace. But something happened to me. I was reading the book of Job recently, and I was reading it in detail, every verse. And what struck me is when I read chapter 16 here, and I began to read verses 10 through 14, it, it hit me so strongly that I, I circled it and I wrote in my Bible, it's right here in my Bible, this is a picture of the cross. And then all of a sudden, I realized something. This is exactly what, what David was writing about in Psalm 22. Remember in Psalm 22, it opens with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We all know Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, but you don't know Psalm 23 till you know Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, when Jesus said those words from the cross, he was saying, Psalm 22 is being fulfilled in your midst. Listen to some of the things that are said in Psalm 22. Oh, my, my, my. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart's turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Listen to this. All my bones are on display. Look at this. They pierce my hands and feet. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Hello! A millennia later, that would be happening to the Messiah on a cross. Or Isaiah 53, where Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah who would come would be a suffering servant. Oh, my, my, my. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And it hit me. It was a revelation I had never seen before. I'd never read it. I'd never heard anybody preach on it. You're hearing something that God gave me that shattered everything about the book of Job. I realized something. Job is a prototype of Jesus. He's a prototype of Jesus in the Old Testament. He's a prophetic picture of Jesus, the suffering servant. Somebody get excited. If you will, he's a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus who was the Father's most righteous one. Job was the most righteous one in the Old Testament. Jesus was God's own son, the most righteous one, God in human flesh, who came to redeem us. Somebody ought to get excited. And then all of a sudden, as I began to read the book of Job, it was like, it was like something just opened up I'd never seen before. Startling things. How much Jesus and Job were paralleled. For example... Jesus, like Job, felt the full weight of Satan's attack, yet did not shrink back from loving and obeying the Father. Job, in fact, prophesies what Christ would come to do. 
Listen to what he says in Job 9, 33 and 34. He says, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from us. <laughs> Paul, Paul writes, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Job said that millenniums before. Job also prophesies that a redeemer would come. In Job 19.25, he says, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Wow. You're, you're talking of a man who some have suggested was the first book written in the Bible. And through through a prophetic picture, he sees what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Or what John wrote in 1 John 3, 2 when he said, But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Job already said that. I said, oh my, 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 my. When Job was told at the end of the book in chapter 42 to pray for his accusers, it was like Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Job 29, you might want to turn there. It's an incredible passage. Verses 12 through 17. It's a picture of Christ. Listen, listen, listen to what Job says. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. That's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, if you want to get blown away by the book of Job... You might want to look up Job 16, 19, 20, because some people suggest that it's a picture of the Trinity. You say, Pastor, this is weird. Oh, yeah, it is. Because all of a sudden, something shifted in my thinking. No longer was Job a book I stuck on a shelf. Now we're looking at a prophetic picture of Christ. Now we're looking at, at, a, at, a, at a prototype, if you will, of what Jesus would come to do many millennia later. And then all of a sudden it struck me. The message of Job is a powerful message for us today. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you four things. I want you to write them down. Get them in your brain because it's going to change your life. Are you listening to me tonight? First... Our Redeemer has come. Job was a picture of the Redeemer who would come in our, to, to touch us 2,000 years ago. Our Redeemer has come. And he has come to save. Came to seek and to save the lost. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God 
made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Job's prayer was answered. God came into human wor- our human world, took on flesh, became the mediator between us and God, took the very thing that kept us from God, our sin, and placed it on himself and gave us the great exchange, his righteousness yeah. for our sinfulness. And if we, if we would but believe on him, everything would shift. Say it with me, I know. Say it, I know. My Redeemer lives. Oh, you worship leaders, you know that song. If you do, I want us to sing it by the time this service is over. So whoever's going to play the piano, get it in your heart because that's the song of tonight. I know my Redeemer lives. But secondly, we have a risen Savior. We have a Redeemer who can change everything for us. But secondly, the message of Job is that in Christ's resurrection, in in Job not succumbing to the attack of the devil, which is a picture of, of the power of the resurrection, the very fact that at the end of the book of Job, Job gets back double of everything he lost. It's a picture of the resurrection of Christ that overcomes every attack of the devil. And you know what that says? It says that Satan is a defeated foe. Turn to your neighbor and say, Satan's defeated. I know we live in a time right now where we glorify evil. I mean, we got vampires and those dead guys walking around. I don't know what they're called, but anyways. Well, zombies, yes, there you go, zombies. I mean, we glorify everything, even when we give them power where they don't have it. Satan's power is parasitical power. It operates through a host. He's trying to find a host. That's why he gives you so much problems because he's hoping you will allow him to work through you and destroy you and destroy everybody around you. He's a defeated foe. Not only do we see it in the book of Job, but we see it in Jesus who defeated him. In fact, Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is the opposite of an archangel. Now, what that says is that Satan cannot do everything he wants to do. In fact, here, he had to ask God to afflict Job. And what's so interesting, Jesus said the same thing to Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. He's a defeated foe both in his inability to win over Job and by Christ's resurrection that shattered his two main powers, sin and death. That's why Jesus could say things like this. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Don't you be intimidated by the devil. Whatsoever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Paul over and over again talks about how Satan is under the feet of Jesus. 
In fact, what is even more shocking, in Romans 16, 20, Paul writes, For God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Wow. Now, given that truth that Satan's a defeated foe, you begin to realize something. That if Job is a picture of Christ, then at the very beginning of the book of Job, we see God's intention. You see, God's intention was to put a hedge around Job, and he did, and he put a hedge around you. God is concerned about you. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. His intention is to put a hedge around us, our household, everything we have. It's seen there in Job 1.10. Job 1, now, you see, when you realize that Job is a picture of Christ, then all of a sudden, everything then in the book of Job begins to have great meaning for us. And one of the great meanings is the reality that God desires to protect you. You say, well, pastor, bad things have happened I, I, I was in a service and a lady came up to me. My son died in a car wreck. I understand. This, 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 this. Now, let me, let me suggest something to you about this hedge because it's very important to understand. I want you to just imagine with me a picture of a family in, in a circle. They're together and there's this hedge around them. And there's this very evil figure that's circling the hedge. You know by this evil figure that he is Satan or one of the demons that is, has an intention of wanting to destroy that family. The problem is he has a hedge around him. Around them. So what is he looking for? He's looking for a gap in that hedge. The way the enemy operates, listen, and Job knew this. Because every morning he prayed and did sacrifice for his children in the event that they did something wrong. Are you listening to me? When you sin against God, when you do that little secret sin nobody knows about, and you think, I'm not hurting anybody. You are stupid. I'm sorry to say it. But I'm going to tell you the way it is. Because every demon in hell knows what you just did. And you're giving them rights to your life. That time you steal that little thing. That time you watch that porn. That time you have an attitude that is wrong and pride and arrogance. And you think nobody knows. Every demon in hell knows. And you know what you've done? You put a gap in the hedge. Some of you think, ah, no big deal. I'll do my little thing and everything's going to be fine. It's like my parents were missionaries in the Philippines. And somebody was giving my dad a hard time. And so one of my dad's board members came to him and said, Pastor, look, we can fix this problem. I know a friend up in the northern part of the Philippines. He'll come down. He'll kill that guy. And it'll all be over. My dad said, you can't do that. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll just ask for forgiveness after. Some people have that mentality today. Well, I'll just go do my little sin. And then I'll be forgiven. Slap yourself. You don't know who you're playing with. You're playing with demonic power that wants to drag you to hell. Don't you put a gap in the hedge by your sin. That's why repentance is so crucial. 
Don't wait around till you feel like I want to repent. You repent immediately. Get it out. Come on, somebody say amen. You have a bad attitude, have somebody nearby you that will slap you silly so that attitude will get right. Some of you married somebody like that. Praise Jesus. You still love me? You better you ain't going to heaven. You know that, don't you? The second way we put that hedge up is to build a life of prayer. In 1984, I'd moved to Maui to a little church of 100 people. In 1980, the church exploded, became one of the fastest growing churches in America in one year's time. Grew from 100 to 700 people. And today we're one church now in over almost 140 locations in 13 nations and in 10 states. And God's just doing a marvelous thing. Thousands of people are being touched, for which I'm extremely thankful. But I'm going to tell you the secret. It's not because I'm some great preacher, because there's lots of great preachers. In 1984, my dad retired, and he joined my staff on Maui, and he started a prayer meeting at 530 in the morning. And he's old-time Pentecostal. I don't know if you've ever heard an old-time Pentecostal pray. Oh, they're loud. They're loud. And it's awesome because he could pray real loud, and I'd just sit in the corner and sleep, and I felt like I was hitchhiking on his prayer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Five of you. Yes, praise Jesus. I'm sure you've heard it before. I may have said it even here before. I remember one day I, I was feeling so cool. You know how these young people, they just feel like they just got it. And I said, Dad, 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 you don't have to be so loud. God is not deaf. He turned to me and said, Son, he's not nervous either. Boy, he got me, I'll tell you what. For two years. He led that prayer meeting, and then one morning he died of a heart attack, and he was gone. I won't tell you the whole story, but I'm here to tell you that since 1984 till today, every morning, 5.30 to 6.30, in all of our extensions, there are people gathered to pray. That's the only reason I can stand here before you and preach, and there be an anointing, because there's a congregation of people crying out to God for their pastor. That's the only reason we haven't gone bankrupt. Our little church grew from $150,000 worth of buildings to over $100 million today. That don't happen unless there's people praying. My brother-in-law is a great missionary. He was in the jungles, the Amazon jungle. It was about 12 midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. He was making his way out of the jungle into a little boat on the river filled with piranhas. It was a very dangerous moment. And uh, he got into the boat and was safely uh, taken out of that very dangerous area. A few weeks later, he was preaching someplace in some city somewhere, and a lady came up to him that he didn't know. said, Brother Bob, uh, I was awakened at this time in the morning on this date. What, What were you doing? God spoke to me to intercede for you to pray. 
He looked at his calendar. It was the exact time he was coming out of that jungle. God awakened somebody to pray. Listen to me. Listen to me. That hedge is preserved by your praying. None of this meditating on your navel nonsense. I'm talking about praying. You say, I wonder why I have so many problems. How could it be nobody's praying? You need to pray for your pastors. The larger this church becomes, the greater attack of the enemy upon this house. There's got to be a corresponding hedge that goes up around your leadership. You pray for our nation. You pray for your job. You pray for your family. Every morning I cover my children and grandchildren. When I was one years old, I was dying in a crib in Calcutta, India, where I was born. My parents gathered around that crib. The doctor said, there's no hope for me. I had who been coughing measles. That was me. India, that was a death sentence. Same time, whooping, coughing measles. They gathered around my crib and they began to sing, faith mighty, faith the promises that looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. And God healed that little boy. That was me. At six years old, I was in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains going to, going to school. I was walking to school. It was a rainy night, rainy day, and I, was, I, I did a stupid thing like a six-year-old would do. I put a raincoat over my head and ran right off the mountain to a cliff about 200 feet. My parents were 1,000 miles away. But there was a mama and a daddy praying for their son. I don't know how it happened. I can't tell you till today. I, 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 I can't tell you how it happened. It's just that as I was going down, there was a little ledge, a little tiny ledge. And somehow my body hit that ledge and stayed there. I honestly believe some angel just slapped me upside the body and knocked me onto that ledge. Because a mama a thousand miles away was praying for her son. My wife and three daughters my two daughters and daughter-in-law were in scotland just a few months ago and they were driving and passing a, a truck and another car was coming straight at them there was no way out and at the last moment my daughter swerved to the other side of the road and there was just one little spot she hit that little spot and was preserved my whole family would have been killed They looked at their clock. It was the exact time when the prayer meeting was happening on Maui. Somebody say hallelujah. And I was there praying for my family. Listen to me. It is God's intention for you to have a hedge around you. I don't have all the answers as to why things happen. I know we live in a fallen world. I know the enemy attacks. I know those things. But I tell you one thing I know. I know that God has a hedge. It is an intention for me. And if I will live for him and live righteously and I will pray my ears off, praise Jesus, I believe that hedge is going to hold. Somebody say hallelujah. That brings me to the third thing. Our Redeemer lives. Satan's a defeated foe. You still with me? Here's the third one. God's intention. Now hear me. Hear me well. God's intention is to bless you 
so you can be a blessing. That's what that Job 29, 12 through 17, when he gave a picture of how he helped so many people. God wants to prosper you. I know some people say, "Uh, I don't believe that. Well, you can live in doubt all you want because it's according to your faith be it done unto you. But I'm going to believe that the intention of God from the book of Job to bless Job is the intention of God to bless me. And I'm going to be a giver. I never have a problem getting in somebody's face and say, be a giver. Because I'm a giver. Every offering that's given, I'm giving. My wife and I were the largest givers in our church. We give over $100,000 a year. I have to believe supernaturally for money to come to my hands so I can give that. I'm on a fixed salary. Don't talk to me. Oh, I don't believe God wants to prosper. I'm going to slap you. Excuse me. I'm here one time and I'm going. So I'm going to give it to you. God wants to prosper. He wants to bless you. You see it in the book of Job. Paul writes it this way in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us, graciously give us of all things? He's concerned about your electric bill. He's concerned about your car payment. He's concerned about those things. And he wants to bless you. He'll give you wisdom if you'll ask him. You just have to be faithful to be a giver. A tither and a giver. You rob from God, you deserve every curse you have on your life. I'm just warming up, but I got to quit. Time's over. That brings me to the fourth thing. Are you still with me? You still love me? Thank you very much. The fourth thing from the book of Job, that God spoke to me when I realized that Job was a prophetic picture of Jesus. And that is don't give up trusting God, for God can turn all things to good. When you look at the life of Job and what happened in chapter 42 and how God doubled him, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If you're living righteous and you're a man or a woman of prayer, if the devil attacks, get ready for a big blessing, a double blessing. I said a double blessing. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, a verse I'm sure all of you know. And we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. The key for that verse is the first few words, and we know. Turn to your neighbor and say, and we know. We know. This is not a suggestion. This is not, well, I hope so. We know. We know. We know. There's a God who can turn all things for good. I can spend hours telling you how God turned things for good in my life. He'll do it for you, and we know. My job is to love him and to fulfill his call on my life. And if I'll do that, I know. I know that a chapter 42 of Job is on its way. The doubling, the blessing, the protection, 
I know my Redeemer lives. Stand to your feet right now. Come on. Lift both hands in the air. Come on. Let's begin to praise the Lord right out loud. Come on. Come on. Praise him. Lord, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you. I give you glory and honor and praise, majesty, dominion. I thank you, God, because you're the God who hears. You answer prayer. You love us with an everlasting love. Oh, oh. I praise you, Lord. I worship you. I thank you, Lord. You're more than enough. You're my redeemer and you live. You're my redeemer and you live. Oh. I was praying for you this afternoon. The Lord spoke to me to pray for, for some of you. Some of you have gone through a difficult time. And here's what's happened. There's been a residue of fear that has gripped your life. I'm here to break that thing off. If that be you, lift your hand in the air. Let me pray for you. Spirit of the living God, I'm asking you right now to come in power. I break off a spirit of fear. I break it off now in the name of Jesus. You will not rob them of the joy and the intention of God. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I'm going to pray for every person who has something going on in their life right now or has gone on in their life and you need God to turn it to good. Stand in one of these aisles. Quickly, quickly, stand in one of those aisles. Move forward quickly to one of these aisles. Just stand in the aisle. That's all you need to do. Lift both hands in the air. Let me pray for you. I want you to declare it with me. Come on, out loud. Declare it with me. Jesus, Jesus. you're my redeemer. Redeemer. And you can turn all things to good in my life. So I declare you're going to turn it for good. Come on now. You praise him as I pray for you. Lord. Turn it to good in their lives. Turn it to good. 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 Hallelujah. I want every head bowed, please. Everyone praying. Never want to come to the end of a service without giving people an opportunity to get saved. I don't want you going to hell from Chantilly. Every head bowed, everyone praying. You'd say, Pastor Morocco, look, if I were to die tonight, I don't know for certain I'd go to heaven. I'm just being honest. But Pastor, would you pray for me? If that be you, slip your hand up right now. Quickly, quickly, all over the auditorium. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, God bless you. 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 God bless you in the back. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I may say, Pastor, I used to serve the Lord, but I drifted away. There's some gaps in my head. I need to, I need to, I need to get forgiven. I, I, I need to get right with God tonight. Pastor, pray for me. Let me see your hand. Slip it up real high. Yes, 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 yes. Quickly, those of you who raise your hand, quickly come here. Quickly, come to the front. Come on, quickly, quickly, quickly come. Don't delay. Quickly come. <laughs> 